Now. Three, two, one, go! What's up? Welcome to another episode of the Cool Down Time Podcast. This is episode 51, and I am your graphically impressive host of the show, Marco. Later on, I'll be joined by my co-op co-host extraordinaire, Pablo, to help me talk about gaming's best and bootiest. Um, so here's the thing. Pablo is still uh, on a limited availability schedule due to his... Uh, his new parenthood experience with his son. Uh, things are going well, though, with him and his son, which is great. Uh, apparently, word on the street is that his son is a serial pooper. Okay, and if, if you've known Pablo like I do, I've known the man for 28 years. You knew this was coming. I called this from a mile away. I called this from the first trimester. Okay, I knew this was going to happen. Because Pablo be pooping. <laughs> Man, is it true. Listen, we were kids. I'm already going off the rails. It's not even been a minute. Um, when we were kids, um, when I and this isn't me exaggerating for the sake of the podcast or hyperbole or whatever. When I tell you, when 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 this dude says he has to go to the bathroom, you might as well just go do something else and get on with your day. Dare I say your life? Because this man genuinely takes like an hour and 27 minutes to poop. I don't know what it is. I don't know why. I can't tell you. I, I, I can't give you any, you know, he'll have to defend himself one day about this. But I'm just saying when we were kids, like it got so bad that I used to think that he was lying. When he said he had to go to the bathroom, like he would go into his house and he and I knew it'd be forever. So I'm out there playing basketball, just kind of, you know, trying to kill time. And my mind started to like, OK, wait a minute. Maybe he's not just going to the maybe he's playing the Super Nintendo without me. He didn't invite me in to play, you know, to play a game. Oh, OK, wait a minute. Hold on. It's three thirty. The new episode of Gullah Gullah Island just dropped on Nick Jr. Oh, okay, so he doesn't care about the friendship like that. All right, so I listen. Long story short is Pablo's bowel movement nearly costed us our friendship many times. That's all I'm saying. All right, now I know we got to get back on track, but I just want you know all I got to say is this is karma coming back to get Pablo. Okay, so he can enjoy all that caca sauce, as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> because. I, I, what I've been through with this guy, unacceptable. But in all seriousness, I'm glad things are going well with him and his, uh, his wife and his, and his son. It's great news. But change them diapers, and I'll be over here kiki keying about it. All right, let's get this show back on track. <laughs> in this episode, we'll be covering my emotional baggage. Uh, <laughs> no, we'll be covering uh, PlayStation's new preservation division. We're talking about Xbox's market share lead in 2022 and a lot more. So shout out to our new and returning listeners for checking out this week's show and pardon all the, the poop talk. But if you like us and you don't mind me being an emotional wreck, 
We drop new episodes weekly on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other popular streaming apps. So give our podcast a sub. What's wrong with you? We're there where you need us and when you need us. What's the problem? You can also follow us on Instagram at Cooldown Time Podcast or Twitter at Cooldown Time Pod if you want to stay connected with your boys in between episodes. So let's go ahead and get this show rolling. And the best way to do that is to start off with the usual, which is loadouts. All systems nominal. Loadouts ready. All right. So for loadouts this week, I actually got a little bit of a weird list of games to talk about. So I'm going to try to get through these pretty quickly here. But uh, I made an executive decision. Um, couple days ago that I was going to basically put Elden Ring on hold. Um, already beat the game with my original character, started up a new character, got about maybe 13 hours in, and I admittedly started to feel a little bit of burnout, which is understandable. I mean, I put in over about 120 hours total into this game, so it was going to happen eventually. Uh, but rather than force the issue and make myself play more of the game when I kind of want to play other stuff, I decided to Put it on hold, come back to it later in the year, pick up where I left off, and, you know, enjoy it all over again. Um, but, however, I, I did briefly download the Demon Souls reboot. Uh, remake, rather, sorry. And um, I, I doubt that I'm the only person that's thought to do this, but I thought, okay, I, I beat Elden Ring, I put a lot of work in there, I went through some challenges, I did my thing, I won... I'm the Elden Lord. What if I go back to a traditional Souls game that I couldn't really get into? And will I feel different? Will I appreciate those games more now that I have played Elden Ring? And the answer is no. Um, and, and here's why. Here's why. Souls games pre-Elden Ring, for me were very hard to enjoy, not necessarily because of the difficulty. I mean, they were challenging for me. So, you know, I'm not as intimidated now as I was back then. I will say that. However, the structure of those games and specifically having to start from the top of a level when you die is unbearable. It's absolutely unbearable for me. There's nothing worse than making your way through a level and putting in your work and doing stuff. You're beating all these little, you know, you're getting through all these all these basic enemies and, and all of a sudden, whether it's from camera jank or just dropping the ball, you end up dying and you lose all your souls and you have to start right back at the beginning from square one. And I'm like, nah, <laughs> that was the killer for me with old Souls games. So, unfortunately, this was a very quick return and exit from Demon's Souls. The other thing I'll say is the healing items in Demon's Souls are not rechargeable. So, they're literally like items that once you consume them, they're gone forever. And so, that kind of freaked me out because I'm like, I, I've, I haven't played enough of those old Souls games to see how often you run out or run very low on healing items. And the idea of having to potentially farm to get those items is just about the worst sounding thing ever. And I wish Pablo was here to talk about that, to kind of you know explain more about you know the history of Souls games and how they handled that in the past. But at least when it came to Demon Souls, that was the worst looking thing for me. I, I just 
couldn't do it. So I'm a bit spoiled on Elden Ring, as it were. Uh, and that's fine. That's fine. Uh, to each their own, and mine is Elden Ring. Moving on, I played a new Royale game. Go figure, they're still making those. Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt dropped on PlayStation. I think it's a console exclusive. I'm not sure if it's timed or permanent. I would imagine it's just timed. Nevertheless, it's out on PlayStation and PC right now. Uh, based on, of course, the Vampire the Masquerade IP. Um, I gotta be honest. I, 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 can, I can break this game down by its you know, its elements. But I also kind of want to talk big picture about companies that are still trying to get a piece of the pie with, with Royale games. Um, I just, I guess, I just don't understand the motive of making a new Royale game in 2022. I don't. Because realistically, you're always going to be going up against the three-headed Cerberus, right? Apex, Warzone, and Fortnite. And it's going to be very hard for any game that's debuting a Royale in 2022 to go in and get a piece of the pie. A sliver at that. So I think right from the outset, even though Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt, I'm just going to call it Blood Hunt, that's just too long of a name. Even though Blood Hunt is unique, even though it does some really interesting and clever things with its vampire hook, its third person, some of the moves you can do in the game are really cool. Um, being able to, you know, suck the blood of civilians to get power-ups and stuff is pretty interesting too. It's it's doing some interesting things. It's just that what kind of hope does this studio have for this game's future when you're going up against Cerberus, right? And that's not to say that these games have to be world beaters. They don't. Sometimes Royale games can can on you know they they can come out and just be meandering if they want to be. I don't know why they would want to do that, but you know you don't have to have the goal of of being in the top three Royales ever. But I just think it's a little weird for me at this point where. If you want it in, I think you probably needed to do that years ago. Nevertheless, Blood Hunt to me is sort of the epitome of a Royale game that's trying to get a piece of the pie. It feels very early access. The opening minutes of that game when it comes to creating an account and kind of learning the ropes are very, very rigid and weird because they don't really tell you very much. And you're just kind of left figuring it out on your own for the most part. And it's not, again, it's not to say that there aren't bad uh, or good things about the game. I love the, the aesthetic. It's very well done. The map is pretty interesting. How you can scale and traverse through the map is very interesting based on being a vampire. They seem to have some pretty interesting ideas when it comes to player customization. Uh, and the vampire attire is probably going to be a fun little cosmetic microtransaction romp. <laughs> but I just think it's one of those royales that come out and you go, oh, that's that's kind of cool. And you just kind of move on. And I guess maybe I'm projecting too much of my own disinterest in royales here. 
But I just think that if you're going to make a game that's trying to be a great Royale, you have to come out stronger than this. You can't, you can't look and feel and function like an early access game. I'll put it to you that way. So, you know, it's an interesting one to try. It's free to play. I'm not saying don't give it a go if you want to give it a shot if you're curious. But I just don't think that there's enough here to really keep a strong user base. But I could be wrong. Maybe this is going to blow up and become the next big thing. I have no idea. But in my mind, I'm just kind of looking at it and going, oh, okay. No, well, it's all right. Now, the last game of my loadouts is uh, <laughs> this one's a bit of a story here. So I've got a friend of the show who is a stout, staunch, hardcore, uncharted fiend. Loves Uncharted. And to make a long story short, he listened to my Hot Takes episode. Um, he's been getting caught up on our podcast as of late. And he listened to our segment. I don't remember what episode it was. I, I should have thought of that before I recorded this to tell you all if you missed it. But our Hot Takes episode was uh, a pretty big one. And I had a lot of bad things to say about Uncharted. I basically called Uncharted overrated, and I called it essentially, in so many words, it's kind of trash. Kind of trash. It's not a bad, bad series, but I, I am not a fan for many reasons. And he has refused to let that go. And he has basically made a bet with me to play all of the Uncharted games from start to finish, and if I complete every Uncharted game in the series, by the end of the year, he will buy me a video game. I said, I like free stuff. And I can suffer through some bad games. <laughs> no, but the, the, the intention, I guess, on his end is essentially that if I go back and play Uncharted from beginning to end, I will have a better perspective now than what my memories tell me about the Uncharted series from years ago. In other words, I'll have a newfound appreciation for Uncharted if I go back and re-experience them all again. And I said, okay, challenge accepted. So, I actually already finished um, the first game, Drake's Fortune, which I think even the most hardcore Uncharted fans will tell you doesn't exactly hold up in 2022, to say the very least. It's very janky, very clunky, um, you can tell they were laying down some, some groundwork in more ways than one, gameplay-wise and narratively, uh, for the remainder of, of the Uncharted series. Um, although I think that the story and the characters do have their charm, you know, Sully, Elena, Nate, blah, 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 I, I do think that the gameplay is, is abysmal. The shooting mechanics is abysmal. I, I don't know why no one is addressed as of as of yet why Nathan Drake is this lovable mass murderer. <laughs> and no one seems to mind. Um, the storytelling for me is it I, I don't think that they they being naughty dog at that point in time had an eye for subtlety as they do now. So a lot of that game's story is very cliche, 
heavily inspired by Indiana Jones and just very trite in nature. And it was just very hard for me, even now, to really love that cast of characters. But I do like them. And I will say, if there's anything that I've come around about, at least from playing this first game again, it's that it's like, okay, I've, I've seen worse casts of characters. They're not that bad. But, man, that gameplay was rough. Scaling and climbing was rough. A lot of the you know moments in that game were just not very great and don't hold up well. Again, predictable, right? But nevertheless, I rolled credits on uh, the first game, uh, actually, the day before this recording. And uh, I started Uncharted 2, which, um, you know, I, I remember a good amount about that game. I know it is going to be a way better experience, but I'm still not coming into this sequel um, excited just yet. So, I, I don't know. I'm going to keep going. I want that free game, but um, so far... Uncharted still feels about the same as how it usually felt. I might just be a little bit warmer to the characters. But I'll keep you guys posted um, you know, over the next few weeks as I make my way through the rest of these games and uh, let you know if I get that free game. But that's going to do it for Loadouts uh, for this week. Let's go ahead and jump into the new segment of the show, which is called Hit Points. For breaking news, rumors, and booty juice, it's time for Hit Points. All right, so we have three hit points this week. Some pretty interesting ones, actually. Let's start with the first one. Number one, Video Games Chronicle has reported that PlayStation has created a new preservation division that will focus on preserving PlayStation IP to, quote, ensure our industry's history isn't forgotten, end quote. Now, that quote comes from the team's first hire, Garrett Friedley, who celebrated his new position as senior build engineer for this department on his Twitter and LinkedIn pages. Hope he didn't get fired for that, by the way. <laughs> is this a good move for Sony, is, is, is the question here. And second question is, how can this preservation division adequately support PlayStation's lineage? Well, the first part of this question is, yes, it's a good move. It's a, very, it, it's a great move. And it is one of those better late than never type of things, in my opinion. Now, I'm not going to be one of those insufferable PlayStation haters that, uh, well, it's too little, too late. It's, it's not going to be enough. And it still sucks. And PlayStation Plus is still going to suck. I don't know why I made them sound drunk. My voice is for people is just at an all-time low. I don't know why I do that. But I think it's a great move for Sony. I'm not going to be one of those insufferable idiots that just go out of their way to be upset at PlayStation about anything these days. That's a whole sidebar that I'm going to try not to get into in this episode, but it's getting really obnoxious out there. Like, guys, I know you're dying to vilify PlayStation in any way you can, but when they do something that's actually a good move, can we at least call it a good move and move on without comparing what they do to Xbox every single time? That's all I ask. This is a good move for Sony. And the second part of the question is, you know, when it comes to how they can adequately preserve and support PlayStation's lineage, I think, I don't know about you guys, but PlayStation 3 is the first thing that comes to my mind. The fact that we still have to stream PlayStation 3 games 
with this new PlayStation Plus model is, is, is atrocious to me. And it's unacceptable. I don't want to hear about the whole Ken Kutaragi and the PlayStation's uh, cell processor and the, the, the hangups with that. It's not true. PlayStation 3 games are, 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 are not stranded or shouldn't be stranded on PS3 hardware. Because emulation is a thing. And I, I highly doubt Sony can't figure out a way to make it happen because it's already happening. A couple days before this recording, Digital Foundry posted a video talking about uh, NGS4 running on PC emulation at 60 frames per second, and they analyzed that. So it's doable. That's a PlayStation 3 game running on PC emulation, and it looks good and runs good. So the excuse of how this is not possible or the degree of difficulty is too high... It's time to throw that out. And so this preservation team really has to figure out the PlayStation 3 puzzle, air quotes. Because that is a huge component of backwards compatibility. And not addressing that in, a, in the proper fashion is going to do nothing but leave money on the table and leave nostalgia in the dust. Which is probably not what this preservation team is trying to do, right? They're trying to wipe the dust off. So if you're going to do that, you got to go all in. And I think that you got to stop the bleeding first. And, and, the, and, and right now, the blood is gushing out of PlayStation 3. I know it sounds a little morbid, but just, you know, go along with it. It's whatever. I would also throw Vita in there. I know Vita's got the touchscreens, the touchpad stuff or whatever, but I, it's not impossible. The key thing here, and, and look, as far as the games are concerned, you know, that's a different beast. It's a whole lot of licensing stuff and making sure that, I mean, a lot of those studios that made games in the PS1, PS2, PS3 are out of business or bought or certain agreements are up and there's a lot of red tape. So that's a different thing. I'm not necessarily going to hold PlayStation accountable for, for having to corral all those games if, if, if you want a certain game that's high profile, but there's just no studio that's left. Like the claim is gone, guys. You know what I mean? Like, what are we going to do there? But like when it comes to actual functionality, give me the baseline of knowing that I can play these PS1, PS2, PS3, PSP, Vita games natively or through emulation or whatever you want to call it on my hardware in my living room. That is the big thing you have to do, uh, deal with first. Then we can focus on library and, and building up. You just got to get the foundation right first. And then I think you're okay. But as somebody who's been an avid PlayStation lover for many, many years, since childhood, this is exciting news. I, I'm, I'm really more curious about how big this preservation team is going to be. I mean, they've got one higher down, but I don't know what kind of thing we're looking at in terms of overall scale and size. I think that'll determine a lot when it comes to what they can prioritize and what they have the bandwidth to do. Hopefully, it'll be a larger team because I think this is a big undertaking. This is, this is securing the PlayStation brand in so many words. This is securing everything it, it was, is, and will be moving forward. So this is a fundamental department that is crucial to PlayStation. So here's to hoping they get it right. Hit point news item number two. 
Chairman of Microsoft Satya Nadella has proclaimed that with, quote, Xbox Series S and X consoles, we have taken share globally for two quarters in a row. And we're the market leader this quarter among next-gen consoles in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Western Europe, end quote. So the question here is, how amazing is this comeback story for Xbox, number one? And number two, what does Microsoft need to do to maintain this success in 2022? Now, if you listen to the Cool Down Time podcast for long enough, you know that we are not afraid to give out flowers. We hand out them daffodils when it's deserved. And I'm handing a whole bouquet over at Microsoft right now. Satya, come over here, get these flowers. I'll wait. Never mind. Microsoft deserves some credit for this. I don't think people realize just how dire their situation was in the early years of Xbox One. The whole TV, TV, TV premise, the DRM situation, the, the, the check-ins every 24 hours. People were not okay with Xbox. It was really bad. And the future was looking extremely bleak because while that was going on, they really didn't have a lot going on with first-party content either. It was the same, you know, certain podcasts out there call it the Burger Fries and Shake trio of, of Forza Halo Gears. And it just wasn't enough. You couple that with the headache of what they were trying to pull off with the console DRM stuff. And it was getting really, really scary for Xbox. And it was clear that a lot of those people that were in charge of making those calls about that console had to get up out of there. Mr. Matrick, to be exact. And even with the, you know, the arrival and, and, and rise of Phil Spencer, it wasn't exactly a guarantee that they were going to fully recover from what happened. They had their work cut out for them, and they had been playing second or third fiddle in this big three thing for a long, long time. So the fact that they came out of that grisly state and are now the market leaders of the quarter is excellent, excellent news for Xbox. However... I got to be a little mean, okay? I was trying to get through this episode without having one of my rants. The last time I got on one, I ended up calling a video game visionary a hoe. <laughs> I'm, trying to, I'm trying to behave here, but I also got to turn the heat up a little bit on Xbox because of the second part of that question. That being, what does Microsoft need to do to maintain this success in 2022? All right, well, here's, here's an idea. How about you wake up, get the crust out of your eyes, and welcome yourself into 2022 if you're Xbox? Because my biggest question slash concern is, where the hell have y'all been? It's May. We are five months into the year, almost halfway through 2022, 
And we have no idea what Microsoft has in store for us this year outside of Starfield and maybe Redfall. For the first five months of this year, Microsoft has been utterly quiet. The only people talking are Satya and Todd Howard. And the only things we seem to be hearing about from Microsoft is when a new drop happens on Game Pass, touting their numbers, or an acquisition. Otherwise, they have been absolutely non-existent throughout this year so far. And that is not what you're supposed to do when you're trying to hold market leadership. You don't get complacent and you don't get weird and quiet. Xbox's games have been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons throughout this year so far. All the wrong reasons. The abomination that is Halo Infinite, we could start there. The, d- the dwindling numbers, the, the, the terrible systems and progression and, and whatnot with, with the multiplayer and, and all, the, all the, you know, the hoopla about the Master Chief Collection overtaking them numbers-wise on Steam. Like, it's not been a good look for them right now. Your tentpole franchise is out there drowning in two inches of water and you're not saying a word. Playground Games, the creators of Forza Horizon 5, are still struggling to make Fable. A couple months ago, they were in the headlines because they basically said in so many words, hey, we're kind of still figuring out how to make a third-person adventure game. (laughs) Go figure. That's kind of what happens when you give another tentpole franchise to a studio that makes racing games. Then we had the Perfect Dark reboot debacle. Finding out that's in development hell or managerial hell, whatever you want to call it, with Crystal Dynamics and the initiative apparently going through drama. So now that project is in a weird space. And then we have all the MIA games. Still no idea what or where we're going to see Everwild again, which is Rare's uh, next game coming off the heels of Sea of Thieves. Still no clue what's going on with Avowed. You announced the Outer Worlds 2 extremely early. We have no idea why you did that. We haven't seen a teaspoon of Redfall since its announcement in last E3. And we have no idea what Starfield looks like in its May. If you're Xbox, you have wasted the last five months of this year being abnormally quiet. For no real reason at all. Now, I'm not saying that Microsoft doesn't have a strong year in store for us. Maybe they have a lot of stuff coming. But it's still no excuse to essentially blow it for the first five months of this year by being quiet. Meanwhile, you have PlayStation coming out. And I'm not making this a PlayStation Xbox thing. I'm just saying, like, if you want to, if we're talking market share, and market leadership, which was the intent of, the, of this specific question, then you can't leave openings for your competitors to come in and steal the attention. You can't. Even if you're still selling more consoles, you're not in the headlines for the right reasons. 
And that's a problem. So guess what? Pablo was right. You need to start showing your stuff. I need to see Starfield now. I'm sick of these audio or uh, like there was like an audio design development, the developer diary. I can't talk today. A developer diary about audio design for Starfield. I'm like, why are we still doing this? It's May. I would like to see this game that you want me to be so excited about now. How about that? Redfall, what, what even is it? So I, I, I'm, I'm extremely happy for the success story of Xbox right now, but that doesn't mean I'm going to sit here and be like all these other echo chamber podcasts out there that just want to, you know, hold parades for Xbox and, and, and they can't do any wrong. And how, how awesome is Game Pass every episode? You can't keep doing that and not address some of the real active problems that Microsoft has with their messaging right now. It's fun to dunk on Jim Ryan and other, other companies for what they say and how they say it, but at least they're talking. Like I said at the top of this, only time we hear from Microsoft these days is when there's a new, a new game that drops on Game Pass, when they're touting their numbers, or when they've acquired somebody. You can't keep taking half the year off and just leaving us with that. Because if this is what you're going to start doing when you're in the driver's seat and you are the market leader, then I'm a little concerned about how you're going to handle success again. That's why I always say, don't expect your hero to stay heroic all, all throughout their, their lifespan of, of, of existence. PlayStation goes from being the bad guy to the good guy to the bad guy to the good guy all the time. And Xbox has too. It's just like wrestling. It's like turning heel and turning baby face. It's, it happens to everybody. So that's why a lot of y'all got to watch your words when you champion Xbox and trash PlayStation or, or flip it a couple years from now. And then you're trashing, uh, you know, you, you, you have to watch what you're saying because these companies, when they are in the driver's seat, that's when they show you who they really are. And right now, what I'm seeing from Xbox is even with this little taste of market leadership, of, of being generally considered favorably by the gaming community, that that has resulted in quietness and seemingly complacency. And so my expectation for Xbox moving forward is, yo, wake up, get out of bed, and greet this year right. Start talking, communicate to us, show us things, give us some kind of roadmap of what to expect from you this year outside of the two games we've known about already and the 17 MIA ones. And let's start figuring out how you want us to get excited about this year. Because I'm not going to keep celebrating all this success if you're not putting any games in front of me that are interesting. (laughs) I'm sorry. If that's mean, it's mean, I guess, but whatever. So again, I'm not, I'm not here to you know, piss on their bouquet of flowers I just gave them, but at the same time, it's like I'm not going to put on blinders either and pretend like Xbox has not been a little funky to me, a little goofy. So if they want to maintain their success in 2022, the key to doing that is start talking. It's not that hard. I do it for a podcast every week. It's not that hard. 
But let's move on to the third and final hit points news item this week. This one, unfortunately, I missed from last week. So it's a bit of an older story, slightly older story, but it's still an interesting one. But I'll hold this L for not addressing this in the last episode. Nevertheless, in a news item missed from last week, Bloomberg has reported that Sega is planning to revive Crazy Taxi, Jet Set Radio, and potentially two other classic franchises as part of their Super Game initiative. Now, Crazy Taxi in particular has supposedly been in the works for about a year and is expected to release two to three years from now. Let's put a pin in that. (laughs) Rumor has it that Sega is also poised to integrate NFTs into this whole initiative. Okay. The question is, what's going on here? Oh, boy. It's easy to look at this and go, man, hell yeah, Crazy Taxi's back, Jet Set's back. They're bringing back more classics. Man, I hope they bring back other stuff, man. Oh, man, it's just Shinobi and blah, blah, blah. On the surface, it sounds really exciting for Sega. And it's and technically, it's a smart move. You've got a lot of dormant franchises that people have very fond memories of. I, I'm a Jet Set Radio fiend myself. I didn't like Crazy Taxi at all. And I've had a lot of strong opinions in the past about the Dreamcast in general. But uh, Jet Set Radio is that that game. Both of them. But it's easy to fall for that at first and go, hell yeah, yes, yes, I want this. But then when you stop and you think about this story and and you dig in a little bit more, this just screams bizarre to me. And here's why. Number one is... Why now? What do you think that Crazy Taxi is going to do for gaming in 2022? First of all, we take Lyfts and Ubers now. I'm not even really trying to be petty. It's just that genuinely, like, you're trying to, to bring this franchise back and expose it to the masses in a new generation that doesn't really... Like, why would I want to play a game about taxis? It sounds petty, but I'm really not trying to be petty. It's just, how is that going to resonate with modern gamers in this climate? I think the degree of difficulty is going to be really high for a game like Crazy Taxi. Jet Set Radio, I think you can do more with that. It's a stylish game. It's, it's, it's oozing with style. It's about skating and doing all these different things. It's it, That game, I think you have a better shot at capturing some attention and getting people interested because it looks just so different if you've never seen this game before. But in general, it's still, even for that game, as much as I love Jet Set Radio, that's a hard sell in 2022. Then you have the development time. The pin that I put in the Crazy Taxi nugget of information about how the game has reportedly already been in the works for about a year, but is expected to release two to three years from now. So you're telling me that a Crazy Taxi reboot requires four years of development time? Is that what you're saying to me? Are you trying? Okay. I hate to do this because I don't want to play armchair developer, right? 
I can see why an Elden Ring would need four years, four plus years for that matter. Why a Horizon Forbidden West would need four plus years. Why a Halo, why a Gears, why, <laughs> why a lot of games need a lot of years to make. Crazy Taxi's not one of them. What the hell kind of game are you trying to put together here? Oh, but wait a minute. Hold on. Sega is also poised to integrate NFTs into this initiative. Oh, hold on. There it is. Huh. Now it starts to get really interesting. Okay, so now you're bringing back classic franchises that people love and missed from back in the day, but now you're trying to modernize them with NFTs. Oh, okay, got you. So basically, here's what you want to do. This is, this is my guess. Crazy Taxi's back, and you can buy NFT taxis that you can customize and tailor inside and out with, with you know, uh, the trim of the car, all the way down to decals and blah, blah, blah. And then you can, it's one of a kind. Hey, come play the new Jet Set Radio reboot with NFTs so that you can have your own NFT of, of your, um, your, your spray paint tag that you put on the walls. It's one of a kind design that no one else will have in the world of Jet Set Radio than you. Recall in the game Jet Set World. I see that as the future. And I don't know about you, nostalgia dreamcast heads, but I don't know if that's the kind of future that excites me. So if you're not going to bring these back, uh, these games back earnestly or in earnest, I should say, and you're just, you're just making them for the sake of having a place to plug in NFTs and microtransactions, you're doing it in such an obnoxiously transparent capitalize on your nostalgia kind of fashion that it's actually a turnoff even though I'm interested in this super game initiative on its you know face value because I just feel like they're doing what they can to try to squeeze some money out of this and turn it into money printing machines you remember this game right you used to love it back in our dreamcast days remember that how about some NFTs? Like, I, I don't want that future. And if that's what this initiative is all about, and if it's going to take four years to make these games, I'll pass. I would rather they not have done this at all. If it's, if it's going to take this extraordinarily long to make the games and then douse them with NFTs, I would rather pass. And this is why Sega sucks and the Dreamcast deserve to die. That's another, that's another topic for another day. We'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone because I know y'all, y'all want to like me and I, and I don't want to say things that make you hate me. But my God, Sega, come on. <laughs> it's just bizarre, man. Like, I don't get it. Why, why play around people's nostalgia just to NFT it to death? Like, it's like no one's looked over their shoulder and it, like leaned over their shoulder and said, hey, 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 the whole NFT thing, it's, it's not going over well. It's getting a lot of backlash. Oh, really? Oh, well, let's keep doing it. <laughs> like, that's how it feels to me. It's like everybody is, is in so many words saying in the industry, like, we have to back off from this. It's too hot. No one is happy with it right now. 
And Sega's like, yeah, <laughs> NFTs, right, guys? Right? Where did everybody go? But we're doing it in Crazy Taxi. What's wrong? You guys like Crazy Taxi? It just feels out of touch and almost comical to me. It's like, what are you guys doing? Are you guys going to pull this with the new Sonic game too? Like, what are you going to do there? It's just, a, it's, it's a trust-breaking kind of move. Well, not trust-breaking. It's, it, it's, it's trust-compromising. I'll put it to you that way. But I'll keep an eye on this. And I mean, apparently we have a long ways to go before we see what Crazy Taxi comes out like. <laughs> so I guess uh, check back in, f- in 2025 for our, our take on how that game turned out. But in the meantime, that's going to do it for Hit Points. I'm going to go ahead and get us back on track again and tag in Pablo with the next segment of the show, which is the main event of the show, the Checkpoint Chat. It's time for the Checkpoint Chat. All right, and so for the Checkpoint Chat, as promised, we are going to be doing the top 10 games of 2012 in 2022. So we're going to be doing a little revisionist history. And to do that, I brought a friend. Also, the co-host of the show, Pablo's back. What's up? What's going on? How's the show going, man? Because, you know, you've already recorded it, so you know exactly what's happening. <laughs> Tell me, <laughs> it's man. A, it's a little lonely. You know what I mean? It's a little lonely. Uh, I feel like yeah. I'm talking to myself. but uh, I can't believe that they ghost-dropped Witcher 5. <laughs> they skipped 4, and they're right to 5. Yeah, let's just talk about that right now. How do you feel about the game? <laughs> it's <laughs> terrible. All right. So as uh, obviously we have uh, we we have we prepared this one uh, at a time that is convenient for Pablo. Uh, you know, since he is uh, you know enjoying parenthood uh, in real time, real life. Uh, but we are going to um, you know just in the spirit of what we've done uh, since the start of the show, we, we we look back at some of the games from um, you know ten years ago, and we just kind of see how these games uh, should be ranked from ten to one now. Now that the dust has settled on uh, some of those games from 2012, we've gotten the chance to see how they kind of fit into, uh, you know, the annals of gaming and and how we feel about them years later. Um, you know, just with some hindsight. Yeah, um, get and all so of those annals. We're gonna get all up in there, butt stuff. Um, top ten butt stuffs of 2012 in Ooh. 2022. Your stories. You got any <laughs> stories? No. No, not right now. All right. Well. Um, it all started when I, no, I don't, I don't, I don't that. um, there was, was a smell. Th- it was the thumb. Uh, no. Nah. Um, so here's the thing. Uh, me and Pablo are going to go round Robin, uh, up in this hoe. Um, <laughs> that sounds even worse. <laughs> this is getting terrible. Where are we going? Uh, we're going to go round Robin from 10 all the way up to one and just kind of give you all what we think are the the new and improved top 10 games of uh, 2012, according to your boys. Uh, so let's not waste any time, Pablo. Let's go ahead and jump right in uh, with your number 10. What do you got? Well, my number 10 is a is a game series that I always play, and it's all it's been the same since uh, 2012. That's Sniper Elite V2. Uh, hasn't changed one goddamn bit, but if you're gonna give me the opportunity to shoot Hitler's dick off, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and <laughs> pre-order this motherfucker. Wow. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's you know it's, it's a small it's, target. It's, it, <laughs> <laughs> very small motherfucker. But no, listen. If you've ever played Sniper Elite, it's super. You know, kind of like a. It's the the basis of the game is super simple. You go in there, oh, it's pretty open area, and you shoot motherfuckers with a sniper rifle, and mm-hmm. that's a really cool slow down time where it goes and you see the bullet go into somebody's skull and all that good stuff. Uh, 
there's not much to say about this game other than it's a blast to play. It's always fun to play. Um, you know, 4 was the most recent one, just as fun as 2. And then 5 is coming out this year, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, yeah, these games are, are kind of my guilty pleasure because I understand they, they don't usually uh, move well in terms of, like, the gameplay because the real focus is on sniping. So there's a lot of stuff about the game that doesn't – it isn't uh, – Good in, in quotations, but I, I love it. It's kind of it's 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 my go-to kind of uh, you know turn off my brain uh, kind of thing. So Sniper Elite Two is my number ten. Yeah, man, it's always been an interesting series because it's always been like that 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 low budget kind of B tier yeah. game. But for some reason, those just they just kind of feel good to play for for they, yeah. they found some kind of weird magic to that game that for for whatever reason all these all these entries later still it still, still works. There. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Um, here's what I got for my number 10. I got me some sleeping dogs. Mm. Um, this is a big one for me uh, because I got into this one actually kind of late. I didn't get into it when it first came out in 2012. Um, so oh, no. this is kind of the epitome of a revisionist history for me because uh, I got a chance to get caught up on it not too long ago. And, um, you know, obviously it's a product of its time. Uh, if you go back and play it now, there's a lot of like really, you know, GTA inspired conventions and, and, and a little bit of an infatuation with the John Woo kind of element that isn't so sure. much a present part of gaming nowadays. But for what it was, it was a really cool gang story. I loved the, uh, you know, the, 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 yeah. the cop, you know, gang member duality and just kind of, you know, having to, you know, play as that character and going through what he goes through and, and trying to play both sides of, of that conflict and, um, you know, how it all goes down. It's a really, really good story. Uh, and, and the open, um, open world's pretty fun, too. Yeah, that's on my list. Should I just say where it's at on my list? No, no, no. Hold off, hold off. Okay, so well, we'll, well but I'll talk about it a little bit. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think the story is, is, is really good. I like the fact that also, was it Wen Che, I think is it Chen? Wen Che, I think Chen, his name mm -hmm. is, I, I forget, but... I like also that he's also from that area, and so he's undercover, yeah. but he also has this like familiar relationship with people. All, that game all the way to the end was great. Like the 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 spoiler alert for fucking uh, for uh, Sleeping Dogs when you, they find out that you are a cop and they have you kind of strung up and they're about to they're they're um, uh, you know they're torturing you. That kind of stuff was really well done. Like I, I love uh, that game through and through. It's a really dope game. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I knew it would be on your list, so that's why we let, we'll just you know yeah. get to it when you get to it. If we have, we're probably going to have some others in common too. So I, I yeah. fully expect that. But yeah, great game. Um, sad to see that it's not going to get a sequel or anything like that. It's a shame. Yeah, but it, it's uh, it yeah. is what it is. There was one in the works too. Yeah. All right. So what do you got for your number nine? Yeah, you know, Marco kind of alluded to this. When it comes to revisionist history, it's games that either we didn't play or games that we did play, and perhaps either we fought, we feel differently about them. This is kind of that. I, I think uh, nine number nine is Far Cry Three. I, mm. I think when that game came out that year, it, it was probably higher on my list if I if I'm being honest. But you know, with time, uh, I, I really think that Far Cry uh, Three. Uh, it, it it hits a lot, but it also misses a lot, and, and that's and no more than and not much more with 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 its villain with Voss, who is absolutely still to this day one of the best villains of all time, completely underused and used as a as a MacGuffin almost to, to the <laughs> point where it, 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 it's it he doesn't even matter by the time the game ends, and, and Bro, it just they takes didn't, they really didn't know what they turn. had they didn't know what yeah. they had with him. Yeah, I think it's a really weird turn towards the end of the game that really makes this game just not feel uh, cohesive uh, for me. Uh, yeah, you know, and and it's and it's it takes like a really weird turn there at the end. 
Uh, but but I have to commend, you know, this is when Ubisoft, Ubisoft gave a shit and they made actually they actually tried with a Far Cry game instead of kind of, you know, uh, doing uh, an iteration of this game. This game is what every other Far Cry game has been since then. And a lot like Sniper Elite 2, I always find it entertaining enough to where I always come back to the games and I enjoy mo- for the mo- enjoy them for the most part. So Far Cry 3 is my number nine. I'm curious to know if it's on your list, but we'll, we'll get there if we get there. Um, it is on my list and it is my number nine as well, actually. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. Far Cry Three to me, um, to me, it is the epitome of, of. I think it was peak Far Cry in my opinion. Between that um, and also its uh, DLC Blood Dragon, which I loved. Yeah. Lot, some people Blood don't Dragon's like the great. Blood Dragon DLC. I think it's fantastic. I know some people, um, uh, friends of mine, that are in love with that the DLC to this day. Um, yeah. it, it was just really, really good uh, Ubisoft uh, open world evolution for its time. It's a shame that nowadays that formula has become so, um, you know, I guess mundane and or some would argue overused. Um, but I Probably do both. think, yeah, I, I would agree it's a little bit of both. But um, you know, Far Cry Three for me was a was a great mix of of action, discovery, um, you know, captivating villains that that made. Um, that made me genuinely care about what was going on and not just go fart around in an open world, you know? Like, there was always <laughs> yeah. that, that narrative hook to tie me back in. Uh, but to your point, you know, Voss was just not used the way he should have been, and, and it, it, it was a shame, and it definitely took a lot of the wind out of the rest of the experience. So it, had he stuck around longer, I hate to put it all on that character, but if he had been around longer, I think that this game would have been much higher up on my list. Yeah. Because it completely changes, it is all on him because it completely changes the narrative. And and that narrative and that second half uh, after Voss is uh, horrible. It's completely stupid and it it just doesn't make any sense. Specifically when you look at, what, like you said, what they had with Voss. Yeah. All right, that's my number nine. What do you got for your number eight? My number eight is Hotline Miami. Um, This is a, a genre that recently has been beat to death just like everyone in hotline miami gets beat to death but <laughs> hotline miami was kind of the first of, uh, of its kind incredible just fucking amazing soundtrack and then like the gameplay it was so like rhythmic like it wasn't it wasn't one-to-one but like you could play it that way like that soundtrack just knew what it was it was like vice miami vice meets quentin tarantino without the n-words you know it's like oh. it's just like <laughs> It's it, it just like a uh, oh I remember like playing this game turning all the lights off in in, uh, in my house and cranking this fucking like music all the way up obnoxiously mm. so and just playing this game with and I'm not even a, a fan of house music or or techno but the way that this world was built and the way that that music kind of feeds into that it just it's like it's perfect I I think Hollow Miami is is probably should be a little higher on my list but I I just love how how this game just kind of came out of nowhere and even its sequel and other games have been inspired by it who do it to a lesser degree uh but still this this game is 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 absolutely quintessential and and i i in terms of these kinds of games and i love and i love hotline miami to death that is my yeah and you're right about it how influential it's been too with other games we've seen since then um you know it was one of those like one hit you die kind of games and yeah uh, it, it encourages starting over, but it's it's doing it lightning fast, so it's not yeah. like a pain to do it all over again. You actually kind of enjoy it, taking on, yeah. clearing out rooms in that efficient way. It's really fun, yeah. So I, and, and, I, th- I think it is a good game. And I would say, like, you know, that soundtrack does so much for it, because when you look at a game recently, uh, was it uh, Ape Out? Yeah, Ape Out, where, which I like that game quite a bit, because it had that jazz 
uh, soundtrack to it. Mm-hmm. But if it was if it was something that I didn't like genre wise, it might not have hit as much. But Hotline Miami it had both of that kind of like gameplay, which was ascent was incredible, and that soundtrack. It just it just it really was like uh, symbiotic. Those two things it was amazing. No doubt, no doubt. What's your All number right. eight? My number eight is Diablo three. Um, yeah, I figured that would be on there. Yeah, it's here, man. Um, you know, I I really you know as somebody who liked Diablo two. But, you know, admittedly and historically have always been, you know, not very much of a PC gamer. Um, it was it was nice to get get a hold of Diablo 3. I, I didn't play it when it first came out on PC. I had to wait till it came out on consoles, obviously. So hence sure. a little bit of, you know, revisionist history here. But um, since I got a chance to play it, um, I think it, it, it actually got a bad rap for a lot of things. I think it... it, it you know, its art style got kind of torn apart because it wasn't, you know, evil looking enough like the like two was. And um, I think it didn't get enough credit uh, as well for a lot of the quality of life improvements that it provided with, when it comes to inventory and uh, managing all the loot that you get in that game and uh, some really cool levels and, and uh, you know, really, really exciting fights. I, I just had a really good time with it. That was one of my... Um, Ironically, it's one of my one of my favorite games on Switch. Um, actually, when I, that's where I played it uh, for the first time. So, uh, it is a it is a super good game that is uh, very podcastable. When you you know listening to other stuff yeah, yeah, and yeah. You're just kind of you know grinding away and that's getting the good thing. loot. That's the thing, man. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it, and it and it's built around repetition anyway. So you know, you don't have to like overthink anything when you're playing that game uh, at all. Um, so it's just one of those games that you know I, I got into a really good rhythm with, and and I was able to consume other other media while playing it, and I just kind of found myself in a, in a nice stride. Um, and looking back on it now, and kind of where it sat in 2012's uh, pantheon of games, I think it is one of the best. So that's why it's my number eight. Um, what do you have for number seven? My number seven, The Darkness 2. Uh, yeah, The Darkness 2, it continues the bizarre premise of demonic forces. And I, got, I, fucking, picked this, I, I picked it again. I, we have the same pick in the same spot. Yeah. Oh, for real? Yeah. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, man, this game is bizarre because it has like this, this premise of demonic forces and the fucking mafia. Like, what are we doing it's here? It's crazy, dude. It, yeah, but like it works. Johnny, it works. Yeah, it works. Johnny Estacado is probably one of the most uh, underrated and maybe least talked about character. Uh, him, along with the, the, the demonic force, that had to, it, it, they have this banter. It kind of reminds yeah. me, in a better way even, I don't know if you've seen the Venom movies. No. I've not seen them either, but I've seen the trailers and I see how the way that Tom Hardy and and the and Venom talk to each other. That really kind of feels, and I would be, I wouldn't be too surprised if somebody says, "Oh, like kind of inspired by that," because it kind of he even sounds like that. Like I would, um, I would imagine it is. I mean, it is a comic book franchise uh, first, yeah. so it probably stands to reason that there was some inspiration. Yeah. One way or the but other, it, I don't know. But yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. But it is it is absolutely fantastic to play. Like, the story starts off with this incredible car accident scene, and then the game pretty much never lets up. It's it's funny because it's almost self-serious when it's, so he's talking about his girl and, like, life in the mafia world, but then it's, like, fucking upended by the this, this demonic force, which isn't self-serious. It's actually funny in a lot of uh, ways. Yeah, and, a little bit, and, and just... And, but also... it. Especially in the second game, I think that you know it was, it was nice and established kind of the dynamic between the the demon yeah. and, and and Johnny and and like the funny part of it, but also like the the scary part of it, like you know yeah, you're yeah. my puppet kind of dialogue and stuff right. like that. Oh yeah, a little yeah. Creepy. 
And it had like these really cool moments of just kind of like, you know, you're there in this room with somebody, all of a sudden the, the demon comes out and you scare the shit out of people, killing them. And then like the, the whole light dynamic where, you know, you have to be under the light and stuff like that. That, that kind yeah. of stuff just really, uh, or blow out the lights. Uh, but I, I really, really thought this game was, it's, I feel like it's super underrated because the only other person that I know talks about this game is you. And which yep. is weird because I think this game is awesome, and this game came out at a time where you and I weren't speaking like we like as much, so we yeah. came into it separately. And the fact that you know we're the only two people that I know that talk about this game incessantly is kind of mind-boggling because this game is legitimately fucking good. You know? Yeah, it is, and and that's why I picked it too for this for this spot as well because that's so you crazy know, the, at seven. The first game was it. I think the first game is still my favorite. Um, because partially because I liked the more realistic art style, the darkness too was more cell shaded looking, which was a yeah. weird change. Um, so initially when I saw that, I was worried that the second game was not going to be anything like the first at all. But surprisingly, um, they retained a lot of, uh, well, almost everything that made the first game great. It was just a different art style, literally. So, um, a lot of that really deep, rich lore and the immersion of like just the, the scummy city, atmosphere was all there and, and just as good. I was happy. I was very happy with it and I think it definitely lived up to the expectations I had for um, for uh, yeah. you know the sequel. So yeah, that's it's my number two and man, I wish uh, I wish that they would uh, bring it back. I, I really do. I think it would I think yeah. it would actually fare pretty well now. Yeah, at this point they probably have to reboot it or remake it. Um, but I'm I'm down for any of those things because the premise is so bizarre. It doesn't make sense, <laughs> but it works so good. You know, think yeah. about it. Hey, I would make a game about, about the mafia, the New York mafia. Oh, cool. But one <laughs> of the guys gets possessed by a demon who's like kind of, you know, is his puppet. Yep. Uh, sure, let's do that game. Yeah, awesome. You know what the cool thing is too? Uh, if you remember the, the the sound of the of the demon, uh, it's from yeah, the Mike Patton the... from um, yeah, and they said that they were they didn't put any kind of like audio filters on the guy's voice at all. That is literally just straight up raw Ooh, voice work, dope. which is nuts yeah, he, when you hear how he sounds. He had a yeah. gravelly and like and then like a hiss to him, and when he yep. talked, he it's like a snake talking at the same time. Like yep. he fucking nailed that shit. That and shit was with was, no filters. Was... That's that's crazy, ho. That's that's talent, ho. <laughs> It's darkness, ho. Uh, all right, since we both had uh, The Darkness 2 at number seven, let's just go ahead and jump right into the next one at number six. So what do you have for that one? Halo 4. Uh-oh. This is Halo the... 4 at number six? Casualty of Time. I look, still great in my eyes. It was mm. another one of those things that uh, it just it was never going to reach the heights of the original trilogy, and I think I can be I think with hindsight being twenty twenty, I think that I can be honest my with myself and say, pro Halo Four is probably besides Halo Five the worst one. Um, you know, I know that I, I, I think I ranked Halo Four. Um, I think I ranked Halo 4 higher before Halo Infinite came out. But with Halo Infinite coming out and that evoking so much kind of like uh, memories and nostalgia for Halo 1, that I think eventually what happened with me is that I realized that Halo 1 uh, is is actually uh, top tier uh, w within the franchise. And it, and it kind of just, with being that, I think that Halo 4 just took, took that dive. But I mean... I'm still saying here, it's number six amongst my favorite games of that year, and I feel that it's still a great game. It's just, you know, oh, I think this might have been my game of the year that year, uh, and that looking through this, it's it's not the case anymore. If I were, if 
just using this 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 kind of of this exercise for what it is, I think that Halo Four at this point just is my number six favorite game of that mm. year because the other games I have over it, I, I just feel so strongly about these games that I it's really hard for me to 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 put Halo Four over them at any at any point in time. You sicken me. Okay, that's all I'm gonna say about <laughs> you're that. Thick. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I see where you're coming from, though. I mean, you know, we, we've we've had a lot of time to kind of gauge what three four three industries work on Halo has been like. You know, kind of post mortem, and yeah, I mean, some people kind of look back on some games more fondly than others, and and you know, for some people, Halo Four is like you know just kind of an all right game, and 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 that's not a bad thing or you know a great thing, I guess either. But um, I, I see where you're coming from. Um, but I still think it's great, though, because, I mean, I, I really do still think... Like, usually when I look at my top ten list, I, these games are, like, you know, the best games of that year. And then, But I still think it's, it's really good. It's just it's just not better than the, the five games I have on top. And that might be Sickening. controversial for some. Sickening. All right, let's go ahead and see jump my top five, hole? No, no, no. I'm at my number six. And that no, is, no, because so uh, when, when they see my top five, they're going to be like... I already know it's in your top five. I'm, I'm already I'm already mad at you, man. I don't even like it. Um, all right, number six for me, Persona Four Golden. Um, I, I wasn't sure whether this would count on technicality because it is like kind of like the enhanced version of Persona Four. Um, but you know, I didn't get a chance to play it because I'll be quite honest, I wasn't that much into Persona back at the time. Um, I got a chance to play it very recently when it came out on PC. Um, and I tried it out, and uh, I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's at number six for me purely because I've seen how Persona has evolved since then with Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal, and they basically did everything Persona 4 Golden has done, but but exponentially better. And that'll take some some heat from a few people that are really like into Persona 4. It, it, it's, it's like yeah, the big that, battle. That, that... I've heard some people say that four that that four is better than five, but I mean yeah, and, and I wouldn't devalidate what they're saying. I, I, the game is outstandingly good, and I, I think it's more of a case of what cast of characters do you like better than the other, uh, yep, yep. little battle system tweaks that one does that the other doesn't do, and just kind of setting related stuff. I thought Persona Four Golden is was really good though. Um, great characters, good storyline, a lot of really cool mystery. Uh, that I that I wasn't expecting. Um, I just felt like the the game was just a little too too heavy with some archetypes for for JRPGs. Um, you know, some that I can deal with, some that I can't. It's the usual kind of you know balancing act with any JRPG. How much can you tolerate of of its JRPG ness? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think four had its share. Uh, the, you know, a little too much of it actually. That kind of you know is the reason why it's only number six, but still an incredible game. Uh, the rumor is it's, it's going to end up on PS4, or PS5 uh, at some point. You know, this year potentially. If that is the case, I highly recommend it. If you are kind of wanting to get into Persona, uh, you know, world, and or you played five and you just want something else to do and you haven't tried four yet, good game for sure. So uh, that's my number six. Um, all right, so we are in top five territory now. This is where things get fascinating. Um, and I'm going to kick it over to you. What is your number five? My number five is The Walking Dead. Uh, perhaps the game that probably suffered the most in my rankings because of time. A game that I loved and like impacted me in like so many ways. But ultimately, I think the formula felt... Uh, eventually, with these Telltale games, got really stale 
and really what it was is the fact that their actual best game is The Wolf Among Us, and so that that kind of supplanted kind of my feelings towards The Walking Dead, which I, I really, really, really enjoyed, but ultimately wasn't a fan of the ending too much either, and, and uh, but I, I, The Walking Dead is, is phenomenal, like, storytelling, like, it is, it is the first of, 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 of of the kind of, I mean, they've been doing those games like they had the Back to the Future, the Sam and the the Sam. What's the other one? Sam and oh boy, I don't remember. Yeah, the you know whatever the Sam one with the cops, uh, detective cops, and then they have the Back to the Future one. But this was like the one that they really kind of found their stride and really made like this quality game with like incredible story. Uh, but you know, it, with tech, marred with technical issues, sure, which never went away with that engine. But you know, uh, top five game of twenty of twenty twelve. That's that's still pretty good game. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah. The technical issues at the time in, in that era were just so annoying because you could feel your console just like, "What is this game?" It was and it's crazy. Like not even like that demanding of a game. Like no, it's not. It was just it was just poorly optimized, and you know. But you yeah. you had to kind of look past that at the time to appreciate the the narrative, uh, you know, expertise yeah. that was on display there. But you know, I really did enjoy that a lot. Um, cool. My number five is Hotline Miami. Um, this game was like, it was almost like a snuff film. You know what I mean? Like, not to say I've yeah, ever yeah, dabbled yeah. in that or anything, but, you know, like like the Manhunt game from Rockstar, like, back in the day. It was love that same ilk to me. It just was this very, like, murky, murky underground, like, just raw kind of experience. And to your point, the presentation, the color use, the music... Um, the music especially, like you said, is, is just one of a kind because it, it almost put it, it spoke to like the killing trance that that, that character was in and yeah. you almost kind of got into it yourself because it was so droney and you know what yeah. I mean? Like, so you would just like, and that's how exactly how the music sounded too, if you weren't sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought it was outstanding from, from start to finish. Um, strangely enough, I never played the second one. Um, I, just as I, good. I don't know why I never got to it. I think I was just sort of... I always thought that game would be perfect just being a one-off game, and then I think when they announced the sequel, I was like, I don't know if it needed a sequel. Yeah. I think you should play it because what it what it kind of acts like, it almost acts like a super version of the game. The story is different. More, I think it, the story is a lot better. The level definition in terms of like progressing is a lot better. The music is just as good, and it just kind of has these like kinda technical tweaks. I I think for me, I think Hotline Miami too. I think is for me my favorite one. Uh, but you know, really, when you look at them side by side, it's 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 not night and day or anything like that. You know, what is that but one I, called? Is it like uh, wrong number? Or? Yeah, Hotline Miami two, uh, wrong number. Yep, or something like that. Okay, no, it's cool. called wrong number. It is. It yeah. is wrong number. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I was actually just guessing that. I had no idea. Um, I knew it had something to do with the phone, though. Uh, cool, yeah. cool. So that was my number five. Um, now we are up to number four. So what do you have? Yeah, my number four is Mass Effect 3. Mm. Uh, and yeah, the game that Revisionist History has been unkind to, and then recently a little more kind to. I mean, but it's a game with an impossible task. Uh, while Mass Effect 2 is for me a masterpiece, what it left in its wake was always going to be impossible for Mass Effect 3 to replicate in terms like of, of, of what Mass Effect 2 accomplished. But I think what Mass Effect 3 does, it, 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 it improves on the gameplay. Uh, but it really has like these incredible moments with your characters that, that you couldn't get 
obviously without two, but kind of having a lot of closure with a lot of like your favorite characters or, or people that you felt close to or seeing how your relationship progressed. That kind of was the main takeaway from, from Mass Effect 2. When you look at Mass Effect 2's story, you, you end up like, okay, this story is fine, but really the relationships you build. And you transfer over that to three, and it's and I still felt that. I still felt like I'm really here with 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 Jack or, or Miranda, whoever, you know, whoever I, I, I romance, and just kind of see his closure with Thane. It just, it, 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 for me, it was honestly, it, it did everything that it possibly could do. Mass Effect 2, it was an impossible task. Literally impossible. Infinite amount of possibilities, infinite amount of, of ways, different little nuances here and there with character interaction. There was no way they were going to ever capture that with 3. But ultimately, I think what Mass Effect 3 did is 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 double down on character development and, and how your relationship with with Shepard and those, and those characters really uh, worked. And I think it gave an incredible, beautiful ending to those relationships with ultimately, when you think about Mass Effect the series, it's about the relationships less about the story. You, you fight a big fucking head in one game, the other one like, it, ultimately you know, it's not like about the story because the story is great, but as corny as this may sound, it was about the journey, you know, because it was really about getting your team, getting teammates, finding Garrus again in two. It, it, it's it's just one of those moments. Corny. Really. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it is, and I think Mass Effect Three delivers that in, in in spades. And I think ultimately, when you look at everything else on this list, uh, you know, there's very. Uh, I'm a person that really. Uh, responds to, to, to story, well-written story, like the the narrative aspect of a game, and and really when you look at Mass Effect Three, they do an amazing job when it comes to that. So I I, I love Mass Effect Three. Uh, you know, unfortunately the, the the ending isn't what everybody wanted, but that was always going to be an impossible task. Got you. All right. Um, my number four is Halo Four. Um, so for me. Um, Halo 4 remains a, a, a top-tier game of the year of, of that year for me because of the story between Master Chief and Cortana and the way that that was told in this game. Um, I thought that was the best storytelling that we had seen in Halo up until that point. Um, sure. I felt like that was the truest, best representation of that relationship between those two characters and that really it kind of proved that at least on some level Bungie did not really know how to bring the story home for those two characters as well as 343 did and I don't give 343 a lot of compliments for Halo these days uh, but you know the, in that case I really really got locked into that story to see how that was going to end the sad part is they kind of undermined all of that with Halo 5's story, which just made Cortana a, just a total wrong type of character for that game, and they've been kind of course-correcting ever since then. Um, but, you know, that withstanding, I, I do think this game still holds up well. What could have been better to me was the multiplayer. I felt like the multiplayer in 4 was just not up to snuff for um, the series. It was it was really, you know, 343's first stab at doing um, multiplayer for an original Halo, and I just think they missed the mark. I think they were kind of trying to do too many things that modern shooters were doing with loadouts and with, you know, um, these, these different things they tried out. I won't get into too many details here, but it just wasn't what I hoped it could be for Halo, and I think they really missed the mark in that area. So I think they it culminated in, in a game that, to me, had an excellent story, 
uh, good campaign gameplay, but kind of a poor multiplayer uh, component. So that's why it's 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 only sitting at number four for me. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. So now it's time for top three, and uh, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Tell me what you got. My number three is uh, again we talked about Sleeping Dogs. I really love Sleeping Dogs, and I played this game a couple of years ago again around the same time I think you played it, and it still was kind of like damn like I. I I, it still kind of got me. Uh, I, I, I love these kind of hard-boiled crime noir type of... like I'm a fucking sucker for that shit. And this is all of that. And I, I, I love this game very much. Uh, and I hope one day we can see more of it. But yeah, that's my number three. We talked about that already. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, my number three is Mass Effect 3. So... Um, I don't want to retread a lot of stuff that I said about the the game because I talked about it actually um, back in our uh, hot takes segment that we did a few episodes back. So, um, but I will say, you know, just to kind of briefly summarize, I think that game's ending has been unfairly bashed. I think it was better than people gave it credit for. And I just feel like the popular consensus is you're not supposed to like three um, either as much as the first two or at all. And I just think that's kind of ridiculous. The game was very, very good. Um, and I think that if you look at that game beyond just the last 10 minutes of it, and you really appreciate the way that they treated, um, I would say kind of like the last third of that game as almost the, the epilogue, um, I think you will see that game in a bit of a different light. And and I certainly did when we played the Legendary Edition um, that came out. And um, I love it. I think the characters were, were really well done. There were a few duds. I didn't like some of the newer, uh, newer faces in there for sure. But um, the way that they handled returning characters, the send-offs that happened between some of them, um, you know, the way that those relationships were kind of tied up, uh, as best they could anyway, uh, I thought were really well done. And I, I, I felt like the conflict between, you know, um, the, you know, the Reapers and them were, 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 was done pretty well. So... I don't, I don't have that same level of vitriol that other people do. I really think this was a great, great um, way to end the, the trilogy. It could have been better, obviously, but any trilogy is going to end with some degree of, you know, what ifs yeah. or you know, loose ends or something like that. So, I, I thought it was excellent. I loved it. But I, 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 even then, that game kind of it took some time for people to start hating it because I remember I think it's highly rated on, on on Metacritic. I think it came up on a lot of people's like end end of year list as well. I think time really people really started to shit on this game mm-hmm. to the point where I, they had that uh, Citadel uh, DLC that had come out, that came out. At, oh, at, the DLC at, is the great! Oh my god, yeah, it's so yeah. Good. But yeah, Mass Effect. That's a, that's perfect. That's a that's a great it's a great game. All right, we're down to number two. Yeah, my number two is, yeah, everybody, let's mute Marco here for a second. Disregard him. It's Dishonored, <laughs> all right? I want to just, I want to mute this motherfucker. No, no. Dishonored, I, I, you know, for, for, for people who listen to the show or know me personally, I'm a huge immersive sim fan, and I love Dishonored. It takes that immersive sim kind of like genre, and it pairs it down a little bit to less open areas and a little bit more focus in linear storytelling, and it really, really works really well for me. Like, it's more of a sandbox immersive sim, and I, and I think I, 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 when I played this game, I played when it came out, I wasn't sure what I was getting into. Uh, I, I love the story. I, I love the the kind of like the Victorian London Wales cyberpunk 
punk shit that they had going on. It, 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 and it's just really like a really interesting storytelling and, and, and just the way you can approach each... At that time, you have to understand, at that time, that wasn't really happening much. And even today, when it's happening a lot with choose kind of your own way you play, um, I, 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 I still look at Dishonored games as, as one of the top tier games in that, in, in that kind of genre. So uh, Dishonored is fantastic. I love it. Um, it is uh, my number two game of that year, for sure. Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much on record about not liking that series, so I won't, I won't turn it into a whole thing. I just, I played and I beat that, that, that first game, um, and I thought it was fine. I thought it was a fine first game. I just felt like uh, some of its mechanics and elements were not the best, and I actually didn't really like the... The, the way that endings worked in that game, um, you know, like with the rat play kind of uh, element to it, it just felt like too much of a punishment for kind of killing. Yeah. It was a little too crude. I'll tell you, I'll tell you right now, I, 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 one of the reasons why probably Dishonored it hit with me so well is because I pretty much went through that whole game without killing anybody. I killed a few people, but I barely killed anybody, so I never really saw the consequence. I don't even know about the rat stuff, like if you kill too many people, like the like the city gets it. In, in, mm-hmm. Like I found out later, but really the way I played Dishonored, which is weird because people who know me, I'm pretty much a fucking like, uh, I just go, go in guns blazing, like. You know, but in this game, for whatever, I just felt it felt good to, to sneak around, and I like a lot of the powers with you know, getting around that way with the blink system and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't experience that. So that could be that could be one of the reasons why I love Dishonored so much. Because this, I love Dishonored too for complete different reasons. It does a lot of what Dishonored does, but you know, it's what level design for me in that game. But yeah, Dishonored okay. two. What's your number two? Uh, my number two is The Walking Dead. Um, so. Oh, so this you got this the same number one, I th- well unless you forgot this game happened this that year, then I think we should. Um, so I, with The Walking Dead, I I feel like um, even at the time I was in love with the story, in love with the characters, Lee Clementine yeah. and uh, that whole little group of people to me were just really really special um, and and did a great job of of you know creating impactful moments um, when people died in that game. It really hit me pretty hard like not like I got emotional or anything but it was like a shocker that like oh you think oh you think this character has plot armor on them huh all right nope dead dead like even even to the point of faking you out of like having the little thing that says so-and-so will remember that and then two seconds later they're dead you know to kind of bait and switch you a little bit they remember that but it was short-term memory (laughs) oh yeah memories all over the ground now um but yeah yeah it's it's it was one of those games that just kind of you know subverted your expectations in the best way possible and um i didn't really know a lot about the walking dead ip at all that that whole franchise was kind of new to me so that was my first i think it was my first time consuming anything uh from that uh license but i thought they did a terrific job and and it, it's so high up on my list now because of, and I hate to get kind of mushy here, but because of my, you know, parenthood since then, raising a daughter myself and thinking back about that Lee and Clementine relationship and the way that he kind of took her under his wing and taught her the ropes on how to defend herself, little tricks of the trade that you would see pay off in the future games when she was growing up yeah. and, and teaching others herself that was, that's, and becoming that like really capable, like one, one man arm, one woman yeah, army kind of thing. That's still so cool. Seeing Super that dope. In, in the walking dead too, kind of seeing how that kind of carries over. 
and just at the end of that, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's incredible, and um, you know, her character I think is one of the best in, that I've ever seen. Period. So it's just it was just an amazing way to uh, introduce that parental dynamic in a really unique fashion, and the way that it ended for for me was like super bittersweet. I I actually love the ending. Um, and I think it paved a, a way for, for how the rest of that, that, uh, that series panned out. Um, just terrific game, just a terrific game that, uh, I, I always think about, um, I haven't gone back to it and played it. You know, I, I, I almost don't, I don't want to, to kind of like touch it again and then, and like see the blemishes because I want to leave it where it is, but I, I yeah, love episode it. five. Was, was, I didn't like the ending in that. I didn't like the, I didn't like the lead up to that, but the emotional resonance in that ending is pretty like it's, it's really good. Yeah. 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 No doubt. All right. So, um, we should have the same number one. Um, what Max do you Bank got? Three. Oh yeah. 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 Look at you. I, I'm just glad that Dishonored wasn't no, number one. That's all. That, That's you all. know, no, it wasn't. No, uh, I look, talk about it though. What, 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 look, I, I, I think it, I think um, maybe when I had this game when it first came, when it came out in this year I played it immediately. I don't know if I had it this high on my list, but I, there's no way it couldn't have been this high on my list. I mean, look, it is. It takes an existing franchise and it just takes it to another level. I mean, Max Payne is there. All the all the pain is there. The whole character, his past, is all oh, there. Yeah. And 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 you know with with. With graphics being the way they were with 360, which were better than when what we saw Max Payne one two, you saw kind of the emotionality on him. But then just like the story, and and, and it's weird to have such a compelling story and such top notch gameplay all like in one because it, it it plays like a dream, and that story is awesome. Again, fucking sucker for like noir ass kind of storytelling. Like you know he's mm-hmm. he's 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 talking to himself. You know like. Self-loathing Self, yeah, all the man. time, very poetic. Yeah, and it and it and it works, and it works for him because he's like this, he's like this, you know, alcoholic, pill popping son of a bitch. But he's in his heart of hearts, he's like this artistic, poetic, you know, woe is me kind of guy. Where you know, like everything that happens to him is, is has very little to do with him, but more to do with just this city smells and like reeks of, you know, <laughs> all that shit. And it it's, it smells like death and bad. Yeah, decisions. it's like it's stuff like, like oh, that. Oh, Max, the, and it just like you know, it's in Brazil, but that that when he comes back to New York, that kind of familiar feeling, even though it's a completely different game, uh, but you know, it's, it's so good, man. They, they really weave in like all these elements to, to paint to Max's past and, and kind of, you know, they almost reboot the series without not rebooting it at all. Almost like God of what God of war did, uh, with, with, uh, with the 2017 game where it was like the, Everything, yeah, sorry, sorry. Everything exists in this world, but this is now the character that we see before us, based on the decisions and and, and the things that had happened to him before. And Max Payne Three is is awesome, which is which is weird because Remedy is is a, is, a, is a studio that we love didn't make this game, uh, and it it almost it, it for me it, that's the change that it needed because you know I think with Max Payne One and Two it was a little bit. It was a little tongue in cheek, you know. You had someone called Mona Sachs and, and and all this weird stuff going on with with Max. What's wrong with no, Mona? Mona's great. I love Mona Sachs, but I'm like <laughs> the, the names were just like you know. It, it definitely was a little tongue in cheek, and this is kind of takes it to a little more serious. Uh, but it still had its humor in it. It's it's just one hell of a game, man. And I played it again last year, um, and holy shit, bro! I played it a few yeah. months ago. Yeah, and it is it is, and it's still 
fucking good. Like, it still hits. Yeah, sure, graphically, it's not, like, the best-looking game, but it's not terrible-looking. It's completely playable. It is on PC. PC version, you know, I never got a chance to play it, but the PC version still, to this day, looks outstanding. Yeah. So, they, they did something right there. I, I, I Man, it's... And it's, it's it holds up it really weird, well. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see it again. Rockstar owns that IP. They did this game, and it's, it was. I, I look based on the way it ended, he, him kind of like riding off into his own version of a sunset. I thought, I don't know if well, they're no, gonna I, do it. Like if they bring him back again, it's like, man, you just, you just hate this. Yeah, guy. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> poor guy can't be happy. Yeah, ever. but yeah, I think that's true too. But I also think like you know, I'm thinking more of like a reboot or or like a remake, uh, like a remake of Maybe. one yeah. in in the in the three fashion would be like awesome you know i would take anything max yeah. Payne at this point yeah i take it um yeah i mean you you hit a lot of points um i i just to to piggyback off of it i think that the dialogue between the characterization is so realistic these characters feel like they are actual people yeah. just the way that they're presented um the way that that the cinematics seamlessly weave into the gameplay there's no hard stop there's no like janky like okay this is the gameplay here's the cutscene section it all just runs together in this smooth and they like, do movie like flow really and cool things with like in order to to make that transition with like oh he took too many pills he's drunk and, and it like it, it blends over and it, it yeah. they do it stylistically yep. this game is is music is great too it's it it's it the music is very haunting and it fits in with his character so perfectly uh, the combat is great in this game. Um, I, it's amazing how they were able to take like a, a very old formula by that point. The the uh, bullet yeah. bullet time, you know, that was already kind of like a okay, what else do you got kind of thing. And they still made it fun and and they made it really interesting. Um, and I just I could not put that game down. You know, I'm actually working on um, revising my my top games of all time spreadsheet. And um, I've made a pretty good amount of progress so far. And uh, this game is my number 11 at this point. That's how much I love yeah. this game. It is it is right. It is a ball here away from being It could in be in my top 10, 10 too, and if I might. really think about it. I, I really have to sit down and, and kind of re-evaluate some games myself. But I, it, I mean, yeah, it's, just, it's kind of it's weird. It's amazing because uh, how Revision's history works, period. Where 2012 was a hell of a year. But, man, Max Payne, I... I was just gonna ask you, like overall, like the year. Yeah, I what think it's think? a hell of yeah. a year, but I think Max, Max Payne Three stands alone. Honestly, I, I don't think any of these games on this list come close to 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 the the kind of like the quality of what Max Payne Three is. But I think 2012, when you look at it, you know, I mean, in saying these games out loud, you know, a Halo game, The Darkness, and you know, Hotline Miami being kind of one of those great games. You got Sleeping Dogs, Dishonored, uh, Max Payne Three, Mass Effect. I mean, it's, it's a one hell of a fucking year, really, when you think about it. It, it is an amazing oh, yeah. year for video games, particularly so since 2011 was so was so good. If I'm not mistaken, 2011 was a huge fucking yeah. year, and 2012, the follow up is. It's pretty good too, you know. It's 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 no it's not twenty twenty one, that's for sure. Mm -mm. Yeah, it's mm -mm. not twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, that is gonna do it for our top ten games of twenty twelve and twenty twenty two. The tradition continues, uh, so we will probably do this again uh, in twenty twenty three to cover twenty thirteen's best games uh, in revisionist history style. Uh, but yeah, yeah, this was a lot of fun and. Uh, I think that's going to do it for uh, for this show, man. So um, thanks for tuning in. We appreciate y'all, and uh, we'll see you next time. Make me feel good.